Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. 17. How I wish I were 17 again. That's the nothing personal word of the day today. It's 17. Why? Why? Ever heard of Emmanuel Sanders? Emmanuel Sanders played for the Broncos. Then they had a bye week. And then he was traded. And then he went to the Niners. He ended up playing 17 weeks this season. He did get an off week just now because the Niners got a bye. And what happened is he went public saying... You know, likey to play the 17 weekos, except that's a problem with the NFL because they want to do a 17 week season. So now they've got Emmanuel Sanders out saying, I don't want to play 17 games. My body can't handle it. And he said the key word. He said, My body is tired. My body can't take it. And what's interesting is that the NFL now has to take note of that because they're trying to get a 17-game season. They want to do that. They want to go internationally. They're willing to give the players more money. They want to expand the playoffs. All these things are necessary, but they've got to get player buy-in. So the question I have is, did Emmanuel Sanders really feel this way, or did the union tell him to feel this way in order to gain leverage at the bargaining table? That's not my way to see today, but it's definitely a way to see because I'm not sure it makes that big a difference. Now, granted, I could talk to Brady Quinn, who works here at CBS, or Danny Cannell, two uh, football players, real football players. I could talk to a bunch of other opinionated people in the studio who don't play football, and I just I would want to know, is the extra game that big a difference? Is it? Really? I doubt it. I think they'd take the money. Speaking of, t- speaking of taking the money... Uh, Tom Brady, he's in the news. So Tom Brady goes on Instagram, and people go on Instagram, and they try to get followers, and they do whatever they can. He joins, and immediately he has like six or seven million followers. And he posted something today that was awesome. It's vintage Tom Brady. We talked about him a little bit yesterday. You can totally picture him at home, right? He's home with the kids, with Giselle, with the nannies, the housekeepers, the chefs, the bakers, everybody, and they're sitting around, and they're looking at each other. They're eliminated from the playoffs. Giselle looks at him and says, Tom, are you, like, going to be hanging out now all the time? And he said, well, yeah, I'm out of the playoffs. What do I do? Well, can you go work out? Can you do some commercials? Are there any modeling shoots that I can do? See, Tom can't retire. There's no chance. We all think he's going to retire, but I don't. And then he totally removed all possibility of retirement with an Instagram post today. It was rather long. It had four grammatical mistakes, but definitely an A for effort. Someone's got to teach people the difference between that and who. For Christ's sake, when you're talking and referring to people, it's who, not that. The people who have helped my career. The people at Gillette Stadium who I enjoy working with. Every one of us that works at Gillette Stadium. You're not of that, Tom. So he ends it by saying, in both life and football, failure is inevitable. You don't always win. You can, however, learn from that failure. 
pick yourself up with great enthusiasm, <laughs> I can't even keep a straight face, and place yourself in the arena again. And that's right where you will find me because I know I still have more to prove. Tom Brady telling us that he has more to prove is like Einstein saying, you know what? Just solving gravity? Nah. It's sort of like a Wednesday. I got a lot more to do. What exactly does Tom Brady have left to prove? A seventh ring? Another championship Super Bowl? He's not going to get it with the Patriots. The team isn't good enough. His body isn't good enough at 42 years old. But he will remain with the Patriots because they are totally screwed. They have no idea. They're not just going to let him go. How do you let a franchise icon go like Tom Brady? They're saying he's going to play a year with the Chargers? It's completely out of the question. He's not going to go play for the Los Angeles Chargers, regardless that he put his house for the mark on the market in Boston. Coming to the Giants to be a quarterback to, so Daniel Jones can learn from him? It, all of this is so laughable. You've got to sit with Tom Brady and say, listen, Tom, what, what are we going to do here? Because we need to exit this gracefully. We're not, we're not good enough anymore, and we're stuck. And I'm going to be honest with you, Tom. I don't feel as though you are that caliber quarterback anymore. You're now a middle-of-the-road quarterback, but you deserve to be paid top dollar. You deserve to go out on top. Why not go now? Well, Tom Brady will have nothing of that. He has already now given the ball to Robert Kraft to Bill Belichick by saying, listen, I'm not retiring. I'm a free agent. Either pay me what I deserve being the greatest of all time. I'm the GOAT. Or I'm going to threaten and maybe go to another team. If I'm Robert Kraft, I stand pat. Pun completely intended. Let him post on Instagram. Let Giselle lose her mind on Facebook. Just stand pat. Don't overpay. Because what's most important is what Bill Belichick said. Robert, make sure you listen to Belichick. He said Tom Brady was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, but we've got a lot of great players on and off the field in this organization. If I'm the Patriots, I'm letting Brady go. There's nothing I can do. Let him go. The Lakers don't want to let Anthony Davis go, and they made an offer, and everyone was so excited. Let me try to explain to you what happened. There's a rule in basketball that says on a certain day, January 7th, you have an opportunity to offer a max deal to, one of, to a player to whom you have acquired. So they were able to offer Anthony Davis a four-year, $146 million contract yesterday. And it got leaked to the media. Why it would get leaked, so I spent some time thinking about this yesterday. From a Lakers standpoint, they're fine with it being leaked because they know that they offered the maximum amount of money that is allowed to be offered at this particular time by the team. So that's fine, but I don't know that I would leak it because I don't want that distraction for my first team. They're first in the Western Conference. They're playing very well. They're trying to make some moves with the NBA trade line come, deadline coming up. So I really don't want that distraction. Well, if I'm Davis, if I'm Anthony Davis, do I want it out there that the Lakers offered me 146 over four? Do I want it out there that I told my current team no, that I want to test free agency? Does that give me any more leverage when it comes to getting a higher offer this July when I'll become a free agent? These are what players think about. There, none of these occurrences happened with Davis yesterday. There's not one ounce of leverage that he got 
by leaking the 146 over $4 million extension offered by the Lakers. There's no benefit. It's not as though there are teams who are bidding against each other. It's not like baseball. In basketball, there's, there's a maximum, right? The most the Lakers can offer him is $200 million over five. That's what they'll be able to offer him in July. 200 over five, that's $40 million a year for those of you without a calculator. Other teams will have a total amount they can offer as well, and it will be under the $200 million, and it will be under the five years. So the question will be for Davis, and it's a question he can answer now or in a month or in six months, but no amount of leaking will change any of the facts. He knows exactly what he's going to get. Picture in baseball, if you had a free agent like when Bryce Harper was a free agent last year, just picture that he knew what every team could offer. Then there's no mystery. You just decide where you want to go, which team you want to play for, and you sign the deal. Basketball is the opposite, which is why you've got players who are insisting that other players get traded or signed if they're going to come. As an example, what happened with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers. Leonard said, I'll go to the Clippers. I will sign with you, but you got to trade for Paul George. LeBron James, I'll come to Miami, but you've got to bring in Chris Bosh and retain Dwayne Wade. So base, so basketball players really have this incredible leverage. So when you've got that amount of leverage, you don't leak stuff. So I don't believe that Davis leaked it. I don't believe the Lakers leaked it. So it could have been the union, but the union does a lot of leaking in baseball. But again, in this instance, it's such a non-story. So, of course, they had to move on to the next AD story, which was a pretty good story, and it was a story all about his tailbone. Remember, he took that bad fall a couple days ago. If you haven't seen the video, it's a video. He goes up, and he basically gets his legs cut off, and he falls what looks like on his back. Immediate panic. Medical staff rushes on the court. In the front office, they're in the box. They're watching the game. I remember watching when a player gets hit by a pitch and you immediately are angry, upset, but then you start working toward what you're going to do. When a player gets hurt, you've got to make a roster move. When a player's going on the disabled list or now the injured list, you have to have an accompanying roster move. You're looking at waiver wires. There's a checklist, like when you're flying a plane, when you see a player get hurt in baseball, we would go through a checklist of activities, literally one at a time, in order to fill that roster spot. So in basketball, you can talk about what they did with Davis, and the reality is they got him off the court, they put him into the MRI, and MRI came back negative. But in the front office, they know that's not the real story. Because an MRI being negative, what that means is that what they were looking for wasn't there. So we would always announce this. It would be very funny. MRI on Giancarlo Stanton was negative. That is a meaningless statement, yet teams get away with it all the time. When you do your MRI, you're looking for something. So just because it's negative for what you were looking for doesn't mean that he's not hurt. It doesn't mean that something didn't happen. So then the Lakers had to announce what did happen. And what happened was he had a hurt gluteus maximus. <laughs> it reminded me of Gladiator, the movie. Every, all these people, we were sitting in the studio at CBS Sports HQ deciding, can we say gluteus maximus on the air? Is it really possible? Well, by the way, the synonym for gluteus maximum, maximus is ass or tushy or buttocks or cheeks. Yes, not the cheeks where your lips are. Well, at least where your mouth is. So Anthony Davis ends up having just a bruised tush. That's it. 
he's fine. Everyone was worried about his sack. First they said he, it was a sacrial something. I laugh because with all the injuries that happen to players, we would always figure out what the best thing to announce is and when to announce it, and we would do it for strategic purposes. In basketball, all that matters is how much time is a player going to miss. And right now, the view is that Anthony Davis will probably miss a couple of games, and that's it. As a matter of fact, you're going to hear later, I like closing the show with a wait to see, that uh, I don't think he'll miss all that much time. So the MRI, you know, we're putting, if you're watching the show on YouTube, you see that Coca, the producer, has MRI revealed bruised glute. Well, why can't you just, Coca, write MRI revealed bruised tuchus? That's the same thing. Or put in gluteus maximus, or tushy, or ass. I don't know why we get so technical. Anthony Davis, you're fine. Tell you who's not fine. We talked about Kevin Love. Did you listen to the show yesterday? If you did, thank you. you you're rating. Make sure you rate. Five stars matters, according to the people here, and review it. And follow me on Twitter, David P. Sampson. I appreciate all of that. Uh, we talked about Kevin Love, who's an NBA player. He won a title with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's still on the Cavaliers. He's making $30 million a year times four years. And he had a temper tantrum on the court. And I described what he did. We had video of it. He, he literally whipped a ball at his teammate. He had an argument with his GM on the bench, an argument during practice, an argument with his coach. It was basically a nightmare. And he tried to get away with it by saying, you know what? Um, I love my teammates. I would never say anything against my teammates. And they thought that would be enough. But the story had legs. And in this day and age with Twitter and social media, you never know what's going to become major and Kevin Love, your behavior became major. We called you out here on Nothing Personal yesterday, and then the day after we called you out, amongst other people, you came out and did a full mea culpa. And this was a funny one, because what people may not have picked up on is in real life, you're 31 years old. And you actually turned your age around and said you were acting like you were 13. Well, I've had three 13-year-olds, and they've never acted that way. You weren't acting like you were 13. You were acting like a spoiled 27-year-old or a spoiled rich 31-year-old or an athlete who believes that they're so good that they deserve to be the focal point of an offense for a team that has no chance to make the playoffs. You're right, Kevin. You are the best player on a horrible team. But you've got the last laugh, right? Because remember, on this show, it's just business, and you've done very good business. But your whole mea culpa, your whole apology, your apologizing for your behavior, I didn't buy into any of it. I actually didn't, I didn't believe it. Basically, you are untradeable. So the GM calls you into the office and says, hey, Kevin, um, you're going to have to do something better than just saying you love your teammates. And he looks at the GM and there's nothing the GM can do, no leverage at all. Then the coach talks to him. I wonder whether the owner spoke to him. Because if this were me, I would have called on our owner. Jeffrey Laurie was the owner of the Marlins when I was there. I would have called on him to speak to this player. Because what he did by showing up his teammates on the court, by showing up the front office, it becomes divisive, and it makes your fan base and corporate sponsorship base believe that you don't know what you're doing, that you don't have a hold of your team. And I'll tell you one thing, Dan Gilbert suffers no fools. He was very unhappy with what Kevin Love did, and my guess is he got completely involved and made Kevin Love not just apologize the way he did, but he fomented meetings between Kevin Love and his teammates and his GM and his head coach because they're stuck with him. 
the best thing they could do is trade him. And if they do trade him, they have to take back the same money. But who's going to take Kevin Love at that? $30 million a year. Nobody. He's not even worth $7 million a year anymore. He's an oft-injured player who's ineffective. A good complimentary player on a mediocre team. If he's going to be your main player, your team is going to be lottery-bound every day, every year. So we have a, uh, a segment. I introduce it like this every day. If you're listening for the first time, thank you. Come on back. If you're back, you know what's coming. So you want to talk to Samson. It's from Half Baked. Half Baked the movie. Not how I feel right now. That's only about a quarter. So you've got a movie, and in the movie, they all want to talk to Samson. So that's what we say here. So I want to talk to Samson, which means that you tweet at me at David P. Samson in the DMs. That's like a direct message. Send me a note of a topic, and I'll go through it. There's some great ones that you've come up with. I try to respond as best as I can uh, to all of you. The question was this. With all of the signings that have gone on recently... And all of these fan bases who want the payrolls to go up and up and the money to go up and up, they have, don't care what players get paid. They just want to win. Have you ever made a deal that you knew would impact other teams and other players? That's what was asked of me. What a great question. Have I ever made a deal that I knew would impact other teams and other players? And I have made at least three, and I want to talk to you about them. My first year in baseball, I've got a great story. So I started in December of 1999. And so my first season was the 2000 season. I was in Montreal. I was living in the Intercontinental Hotel. Yes, I will give them a plug. The Hotel Intercontinental in old Montreal. Phenomenal. I lived there for two and a half years. And I'm in the hotel and go back and forth to the Olympic Stadium, La Stade Olympique. And we had our first ever draft. And I was new to the game. That was my first of 18 years. And I knew that in the draft back then there was no slotting, which means you could pay any amount of money to any player in any round. So we had a budget of what we were willing to spend for all amateur players. That's a budget that I approved, that I made, that I got approved by the owner. And you go into the draft knowing that we're going to spend a total, let's say, of $5 million. That's it. And how the $5 million gets split up is totally up to the Scouting department. You have an amateur scouting department, and they're in charge of the amateur draft. So the draft is happening in June, and word comes to me from our GM at the time, who was a former Yankee pitcher named Jim Beatty. Jim, J-I-M, Jim Beatty. He ended up being a co-GM with uh, Mike Flanagan of the Baltimore Orioles after the, after the Expos. A great, great man. I loved working with him, learned a lot from him, actually. And... Uh, that's going to be a separate podcast. The things I've learned from the people with whom I've worked, it's volumes. Uh, it, it, you know, Jim, from the minute I met him, started talking to me about baseball and trying to tell me the differences between business, which was my expertise, and baseball. A lot of people with the this is how it's been done way of thinking. So I got a call from Jim that there was a player that our guys wanted to draft in the third round, and his name was Grady Sizemore. For you baseball fans out there, Grady Sizemore ended up having a long, terrific career in baseball. And we were told that we're going to draft him in the third round, but we wanted to give him $2 million. Well, $2 million was more money than we were going to give to our first-round pick that year. And $2 million was way more money than we were supposed to be giving to a third-round pick. 
And the rules back then were if you're going to overpay what the commissioner suggests for a certain pick in a certain round, and no, this is not a violation of the CBA if you're watching Tony Clark or listening, or Donald Fear back in the day, if you're paying attention, no. It was merely suggested levels. The commissioner never told us we can't go over. He merely said, don't go over. So we call the commissioner and we say, listen, we've got a player and his name is Grady Sizemore. Commissioner says, do you know who Grady Sizemore is? I said, of course not. I've never seen him. So why would you want to be giving him so much money? I'm not sure he used that incorrect grammar the way I just did. And I said, well, let's just see if we get him. So hang up the phone. The draft comes. We draft Grady Sizemore. Third round. All of a sudden, I'm told, yeah, we're giving him $2 million. I approve it. I call the commissioner, Bud Selig, and here's how the phone call went. This is how I knew that we were impacting future draft picks, players. Bud Selig said, what the fuck are you doing? He swore all the time. Bud Selig used the F word all the time. He used it in owner's meetings. He used it in phone conversations. He used it every 10 words. He would drop an F-bomb on you. You have any idea what you're doing to this industry? You just got to this game four months ago and you're giving some third round pick $2 million? Now you're forcing other small market teams to try to do what you did and the big market teams are going to go even higher than $2 million? And he went off on me. And I didn't realize actually that it would have the ripple effect it did because I was so new to baseball. So I apologized and I moved along. Turns out that it changed the entire way the draft was done. After that, slotting started to really become a thing, and you couldn't give $2 million to a third-round pick. You had to do it within the confines of a certain round. And that was the second time I got yelled at by the commissioner that year, my first year in baseball. The first time was the offseason of 2000 before when we signed a former Yankee pitcher for you Yankee fans out there. Remember the big, tall Australian lefty named Graham Lloyd? Graham Lloyd was great. He was a setup guy for the Yankees. And we had a closer in Montreal named Ugeth Urbina, ironically, who we ended up bringing to Florida, help us win a World Series. So we wanted to sign a basically an eighth inning guy. And this is before eighth inning guys were getting paid a lot of money. It was just starting. And we offered Graham Lloyd... $3 million a year for three years. That's a $9 million deal for what was then a late inning, pretty high leverage reliever. Of course, the words high leverage didn't exist. And of course, no eighth inning relievers were getting paid anything close to that amount. So at the end of the day, we ended up overpaying for Graham Lloyd, got in trouble, and changed the way payments happen to relievers. That was crazy. Third time happened a few years ago. You've heard me talk about it. Giancarlo Stanton. Can you imagine we gave Giancarlo Stanton $325 million? That is more combined than we paid, than Jeffrey paid for the Marlins and the Expos. More. Not more than he sold it for, but more than he paid for it, gave Giancarlo that amount. 325 over 13 years. He's been totally worth it, hasn't he? Totally. To the max. Yikes. Thanks for, so you want to talk to me. I appreciate it. It's hard to know when you're changing structures. We knew we were breaking the rules for Giancarlo. We knew we were setting the record, and we knew that record would be broken. The problem is when you give a player that much money, you know that someone wants to beat it. We got a call from uh, an agent 
the day after we signed Giancarlo, where he had heard and had knowledge that Scott Boris already promised Bryce Harper that he would beat Giancarlo's 325. And this was years before Harper was going to be a free agent. Harper was promised. And you wonder why Harper kept holding out until the end to get the 330 he got from Philadelphia? I'm not wondering. He would have signed for 325.1. He was promised that he would get more than Stanton, and he did. So when you offer someone that much money in notional dollars, you know that someone will beat it. All records are made to be broken. Why did I want to be a part of setting new records of salary? Makes no sense to me. Makes me angry, actually. Anyone had enough of sign stealing yet? I've had enough. I did a whole video on it yesterday. A lot of you watched it. I appreciate it. I just can't understand why uh, people are going so crazy. Yeah, it's not cheating, I guess. It's against the rules, but it's not cheating. Cheating is when you look at someone else's test or when you have someone take the test for you. If you're using available technology to do something that actually doesn't, it's not a performance-enhancing drug, right? I could know exactly what's coming from a pitcher, fastball, curveball, changeup, and I couldn't hit it. So I have to have a medium skill to start with. It's not cheating. But MLB, nonetheless, is spending a ton of time on trying to figure out how to eliminate sign stealing. What are they going to do? So here's what they've come up with. I was on the competition committee for several years. We talked about this a lot. We came up with a ton of ideas. The one I liked the most was having the pitcher wear an earpiece the way I am right now. I'm showing everybody the earpiece. So you have an earpiece, and then the dugout can talk to the pitcher. So the dugout would be calling the games. There are several teams who call games for the catcher right now. There are still some catchers who call his own, who call their own game, but fewer and fewer. So it's not totally crazy, even though baseball purists are losing their mind. You cannot have the dugout calling pitches. Well, frankly, that's what we do now. So that's normal. So the dugout right now, the way it works, is if you look very carefully at a certain coach in the dugout, before a pitch, maybe it's touching the nose to the ear, to the mouth, to the nose, ear, nose, mouth, in some sequence. If you look at the catcher before every pitch, the catcher is looking into the dugout. The catcher then looks into the dugout, looks at the manager, then looks straight at the pitcher, gives the sign, then the pitcher throws the ball. That takes some time. What MLB would like to do is eliminate that and go straight dugout to pitcher, and the catcher would all have an earpiece. None of them would be able to talk. Picture the uh, device in a helmet for the quarterback. Have you ever seen a quarterback put his hands over his ears because he's trying to listen? Well, that's what he's doing. He's listening to the sideline calling in a play. Or actually, it's probably from the offensive coordinator who sits on top in a booth. So what MLB is developing is some sort of signal where you can have a, a, literally like a secret service talking into their sleeve where the pitcher gets the pitch. I like that one the best. It's been reported now that they're looking at doing some sort of lighting system. Please don't believe that. Everyone here in the studio is going crazy, especially Coker, the producer. How is that possible? They're going to have lights like runway lights like on a plane? You're right. It's never going to happen. It would be so confusing. Believe me, 90% of the pitchers and catchers would not be able to remember what the lights were, what the sequence was, which lights mean what, who would be seeing the lights, how would it be? The pitcher would only see it, forget it. The next thing is, is there a way to do catcher to pitcher 
Well, the catcher can't talk because the hitter is there and so is the umpire. So you can't have the catcher with the microphone. So that's not going to happen either. The best thing you're going to have is an earpiece with communication from the dugout. Wait for it because once MLB finalizes it, which they're going to, they've gotten a bunch of bids already. There are a bunch of companies who have gotten uh, offers to MLB to use this technology. That's the future of baseball. That is the future of no more sign stealing. So we can move on to other things that we do to gain an edge. You know, I was thinking, do you think that Moneyball was cheating, doing the shift, or not bunting, or not running or stealing bases, or launch angle? Is any of that cheating? It's taking what's available to you and using it to try to score more runs than the other team. That's not cheating. Nah, we'll talk about it later. Movie of the day. I had a good one. People in the office were wondering my take on this, and I'm going to tell them all right now, live during the show. So I'll watch any Anthony Hopkins movie. Let's just start there. If Anthony Hopkins is in a movie, I'm going to watch it. Two, as a Jew, and I am Jewish, if I see a title of a movie called The Two Popes, I'm going to watch it. I want to learn what's going on right? What happens? Catholicism fascinates me. The similarities between Judaism and Catholicism, the Jewish guilt that I feel every single day, the confession. I don't go to a confessional at all, but I certainly sort of, Jews have their own way, right? During the high holidays, it's total confession. So the two popes I sat and watched with two perfect actors, Jonathan Price nominated for Best Actor Golden Globe, didn't win because of course Joaquin Phoenix did. Anthony Hopkins, Best Supporting Actor, And that went to Brad Pitt. Anthony Hopkins plays Pope Benedict. Remember him? Pope Benedict is the first pope since 1274 or 1294. What's 20 years when it's 700, 800 years ago? The first pope to abdicate the papal see. Popal see? People see? The papalness. His papalness holiness said, I'm retiring. You're supposed to die when you become pope, right? You, You become pope, you're pope, and then you die. Well, Benedict said, I've had enough. He may have even said it in Yiddish. He said, Gnug. So he decides, Anthony Hopkins, as Pope Benedict, he's going to step aside and tries to figure out, should Pope Francis, well, his name wasn't Pope Francis at the time, he was a cardinal from Buenos Aires. I just rolled my R's. I don't do that a lot. So Francis was called the cardinal from Buenos Aires. This movie is about the relationship that is ongoing because for the first time in 800 years, there are two sitting popes. Because you don't lose your name. Pope Benedict decided in real life to still be called Pope. And Pope Francis is now the Pope. And guess what? Benedict actually still lives in the Vatican. So you've got two Popes in the Vatican. It can be very confusing to Catholics. I've actually had conversations with Catholics who really, it's, it's sort of thrown them off their game. You know, do I still pay attention to Benedict? Do I not? Do I have to pay attention to only Francis? So they made a whole movie about it. And the fiction part is that it's a buddy movie. They made this movie about two guys who drink beer and watch English football, which is our soccer, and they cheer for their teams, and they tell jokes to each other, even though Pope Benedict plays the straight man and Francis plays the prankster. I'm not sure any of that is true. It makes for a good script, and it makes for a good movie. But what I loved about the movie and why for 125 minutes you should see it is that you got an insight into really the anguish that goes in to uh, voting and electing a pope, what it's like when they 
there's a word for it, and I'm totally showing my Jewishness right now. I want to say like the consecration of the cardinals, but it could be the convocation, the consultation. Wouldn't it be awesome if I had a guy in the booth who could be feeding into my ear what it's called when they elect a pope? I know that white smoke means they get it. Black smoke means they're still doing it. You need a certain number of votes. I'm getting zero help, but it doesn't matter. The papal conclave, not conclave, it's the conclave. So when Francis was elected in the conclave in the movie, Benedict was very influential on that. But in real life, he actually had nothing to do with it. So there are definitely things that are different between the movie and in real life. But what is common and what is interesting is the way these characters played by Hopkins and Price relate to each other. If you were waiting to see the Pope on Netflix, wait no more. Give it the 125 minutes. What about Roy Williams? Anybody know who Roy Williams is? College basketball, coach of UNC. He did something I've never seen in my career. I've never seen a coach do this actually, especially a college coach. So he is the coach of a program at University of North Carolina, UNC. It's a great program. This year, though, they're eight and six. Keep in mind that Roy Williams has been to the NCAA tournament. He's been there 17 years. He's been to 16 NCAA tournaments. This is a successful coach. This is a man. He's a Hall of Famer, revered. He's having a frustrating time. They've lost, I think, five out of seven games, and uh, they're eight and six, and they're just not good. They lost their best player to injury to the NBA. Fine. Roy Williams, though, got so frustrated that he gave an interview. And now what I love is uh, it used to be it's always on radio interviews. Like Jerry Jones gives interviews after each Cowboys game. He does an appearance once a week. That's a radio interview. Often now what's happening is we're getting great fodder from podcasts. So you've got people who are guests on a podcast show, and they don't realize that people are monitoring that. And when they say something, it's meaningful. It's on the record. People are going to pay attention. Roy Williams actually said, quote, This is the least gifted team I have ever coached since I've been here. This is the least gifted team I've ever coached. Hey, Roy, here's the problem. You have an athletic director and you've got a clubhouse locker room full of players. How does that play out? That's not motivating to a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds. That doesn't make them feel good. They know they've lost five of seven in their eight and six. You think your athletic director is out there trying to raise money, he's trying to sell season tickets in North Carolina, trying to raise sponsorship revenue, trying to get boosters to give money, trying to get boosters to give money to the program and to the players, and you're saying it's the least gifted group? Well, that's a reflection on you, Roy, because you do the recruiting. It's a reflection on the entire school. No one comes out of this looking good. Roy Williams walks into practice today because he is practicing. They have their next game, let's say, today. So it's a shoot-around if they have a game today or a practice if they have a game tomorrow. This is another example where if we were at 100% efficiency, in my ear it would say North Carolina's next game is against blank on blank day. And it's today. <laughs> I love you, Coca. You're one step behind, but you're doing the job of four people. I get that. So they have a game today. They're doing a shoot-around. you think his team feels good? I don't. I'm disappointed in Roy Williams for doing that because the way you tell the kids when they're not performing is you say, I've expected more out of you. We are good enough. We are better than this. 
I'm going to coach better than I've ever had to coach starting now. This is the worst job I've ever done as coach in my entire career. That's what I want a coach or a manager to say. I don't want him to blame the players or the GM or the owner or the school. One time, just blame yourself. Even if you don't mean it, cross your fingers. Cross your toes. Not smart what he did to the players. Let's talk Alex Ovechkin. I love getting to talk a little hockey. Alex Ovechkin, you know who that is? Uh, well, if you don't, he's actually probably the best player of the past decade in the NHL. Uh, scored the most goals of any player in the last decade. Most goals. Um, perennial All-Star. Hall of Famer. He won the Cup with the Caps. Remember Ovechkin? I think he's got a dental issue. And uh, he held the Cup up high. And he's had a good offseason. Very, very uh, charitable, friendly man. But he did something that bothered me. Um, he's voted to be an All-Star. An NHL All-Star game is coming up. And it's the second consecutive year that he said, I'm not going. I don't want to go to the All-Star game. I need to rest. I need to prepare for the second half of the season. Alex, you're part of the reason why the NHL is lagging so far behind the other sports and TV revenue. Alex, you're not earning as much as you could earn because you are not promoting your sport or yourself enough. When there is an event like an All-Star game and it's taking place in St. Louis, where they won the cup last year, your job is to be there. Your job is to represent your sport. Your job is to represent to all the younger players, to all of the older players, the importance of All-Star Weekend. The fact that that game is a nationally televised game, the fact that NHL has lagged behind in broadcast revenue for decades, it's their dream to have a broadcast deal similar to baseball or basketball. Forget football, they have no shot. But to do it, you've got to attend the Jewel events. Because the Jewel events are what the TV networks are paying for at the end of the day. They're not paying for the Wednesday night game of the week. They're paying for All-Star Weekend, postseason Stanley Cup. That's it. So the reason why the deputy commissioner, his name is Bill Daly, and the commissioner, Gary Bettman, came out as so upset, and why there's a chance that he will actually be suspended. Rumor is he's going to be suspended one game if he doesn't show up to the All-Star game. That's not enough. This has to be handled internally before it becomes a public spat. You've got to sit down as the owner of the Capitals, Ted Leonisis, I believe, owns the Capitals, Bill Daly, deputy commissioner, I want the union there because the players' union wants all that money. Donald Fear happens to be the representative of the NHL union. I want him at the table too. And I want Alex Ovechkin. I want the player there. And I want to talk to them about the reality of the All-Star game for NHL, what it means, why it matters. I don't want the narrative to be, from Ovechkin, I'm not going. From the NHL, I'm fining and suspending you. Because as sponsors, as TV partners, and as fans... That's like blah, blah. It's noise. It's, oh, another, dis another disenfranchised player, another disgruntled player, another fine, another suspension. It's like white noise now. It's like the number of shows and talking heads in sports media who think they know what they're talking about and have takes that are based on fantasy and not reality with no experience whatsoever. Yet huge audiences because they're filling a void of emptiness thinking that that's sufficient.
To me, I don't want to fill a void of emptiness. I want to fill it with meaning and truth, and I want to make a difference to my listeners, to you, the audience. And Alex Ovechkin has a chance to make a difference with the NHL. He has a platform, and he's completely wasting it. It bothers me. I'm very mixed on Dwayne Wade. I've gotten to meet him many times. He happens to be a, uh, one of the nicest guys. Uh, always. Just a great father, great person. It is not like him with what's going on in Miami right now. Dwayne Wade, it has been announced, is having not just his jersey retired by the Miami Heat. No, no. It is a three-day, three-event retirement party. Like he was the Pope or the president. This is Dwayne Wade, a first ballot Hall of Famer, an NBA champion, the greatest player in Heat franchise history. No, that's LeBron James. The second greatest player in Heat franchise history. I get retiring number three, I'm all in. But the first night, the Heat did it, the first night is an invitation-only party for season ticket holders to hobnob with Dwayne Wade. It's like a party, like a going away party. I think it's brilliant because you are basically rewarding season ticket holders. You're finding another event, a touch point to make money from those season ticket holders. And you're feting your superstar, Dwayne Wade. I'm fine. Night two, I'm fine. Retire his jersey during a game against the Cavaliers. The prices will go up on StubHub, the secondary market. It'll be sold out. Everyone will give him a standing ovation. I think it's great. But then you've got day three. Day three is open to the general public. $3 a ticket. For $3, all proceeds go to the Wade World Foundation. Hey, I'm just talking here. I have no information. I'm just curious who the employees are of the Wade World Foundation. One of the oldest tricks in the book, and stop tweeting at me. I'm not saying Dwayne Wade is doing this. I'm saying other people have done it, so let's check. Other people have had foundations that they start where they employ family members or themselves. It's a way to get money to other people in a tax-effective way. Could that be happening? I don't know. I'm going to hope not, and I'm going to assume not. What I know, however, is that for $3 on day three, because he wore number three, you get to go and watch a new documentary produced by number three about the life of number three. That's a whole lot of three. I'm happy it's going to sell out. And it's a tough thing for me to stomach, though, because I've had some of the greatest players ever in baseball. It never would have occurred to me to do a three-day retirement. When Ichiro retired three days, Arguably, no, arguably, for sure, Ichiro is a better baseball player than Dwayne Wade is a basketball player. Three days? No chance. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, all better. It's too much. So what does it mean that the Heat have decided and Dwayne Wade has decided that they needed to do it? It means that we are so desperate in this day and age to connect with our audience and with our business base with our customers. We're desperate for any touch point because there's so much distraction, there's so much noise, that anytime we find a little hook, we are gonna enlarge it and milk it. And boy, have they milked it. Pick of the day. 
God, I'm angry about last night's pick. I feel badly when I lose a pick. I'm watching the games. I'm paying attention. We had it. Nets plus two over the Thunder. The Thunder are a league best 25 and 12. Thank you, Tommy Tran at Tommy Tran TV. League best 25 and 12 against the spread. I totally, with reckless indifference, didn't care about that stat, picking against the Thunder last night. And all we had to do was have the game end in regulation, and we were fine. Of course, it went to overtime, and Chris Paul, yeah, the Chris Paul is 100 years old. He played like he was 25. Crushed the Nets, who stink. Kenny Atkinson, their coach, walked off the court in disgust, and I was waiting for him in the clubhouse because I lost my pick of the day. Tonight, I'm not going to lose. You got to watch the Mavericks game, right? You have to. You, and, it, and just because when you have a chance to watch Luka, you're going to watch it. And when he's playing against Jankic, Jankic? Koka, Jonkic, Nikola, Jokic to the Nuggets. I got the Mavs. Give three and a half. It's the two best uh, European players. Luka is really the MVP frontrunner. If you haven't watched him play this season, you should. He gets a triple-double like it's nobody's business. But I think the Mavericks, they're a better team. They're giving three and a half. When I made the pick, it was one and a half. Wait to see. I got an update. I lost one. Wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. And if it doesn't, I actually revisit it. Because everybody else on the air just forgets it when they make a mistake. They ignore it. But I was wrong. I thought Dan Quinn for sure would not see 2020. I'm giving up because it is 2020. I meant that he won't coach in 2020. But I do believe the Falcons are not firing him right now. So, Dan Quinn, you made it to 2020. Congratulations. You certainly out Arthur Blanked Arthur Blank. My wait to see today is about Anthony Davis. We talked about his gluteus maximus, tuchus, tushy ass, remember? Well, he needs to play. He's on the road trip with the Lakers. The best I can tell you is he's going to miss two games or fewer. If someone tells you they're missing three games, he's going to miss three games or more. Take the under. Anthony Davis will miss two games at most with his gluteus. As I think about this show, I reflect on all that we talked about and please remember, Tom Brady, Alex Ovechkin, I'm trying to tell you it's just business for me. It's nothing personal.